Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. As well, if you'd like to, you can donate to the podcast by going to my website. Just click donate at CanadaEHX.com. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Michael Posner. He wrote a book called Leonard Cohen, The Untold Stories, The Early Years. This is one of three books that he's doing on Leonard Cohen. The first will be The Early Years. The second will be The Middle Years. And the last will be his final years. And we all know who Leonard Cohen is. He's arguably one of the greatest musicians, poets, writers, artists in Canadian history. And we lost him just a few years ago. So I'm going to talk with Michael about Cohen and the unique stories that he's found. So let's get right to it. What kind of led you to write this book about, uh, not book, I guess books about uh, Leonard Cohen? Um. You know, a few things. One is, uh, you know, he was a giant, is and was and remains a giant cultural figure, uh, not just a Canadian icon, but an international icon, um, a larger than life figure whose work I suspect uh, and suspected will last for a very long time. Um, two, having read a number of other Cohen biographies, all of which have their their merits and 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 uh, and uh, and I like them all, um, but I nevertheless felt there was lots that that had been left out. Um, that was more journalistic instinct than actual knowledge, but I but I did feel there was more to be had. He had led a very complicated, multifaceted life in various in various uh, disciplines: um, literary, musical, religious. Uh, romantic, um, and I just kind of felt there was more to be had, and um, and I had actually, you know, I had written to him when he was alive, thinking, you know, this would be an interesting project, and he had, he wrote back and, and was was very kind and turned me down in a very gracious way, um, and then when he passed, when he died, I, I thought maybe I can resurrect that idea. So, um, so those were the reasons, basically. Uh, you kind of touch on it, but why is Cohen st- like? Why is he such a legendary figure? Uh, not only for Canadians but around the world. I mean, huge murals. He's honored extensively. Uh, he was mourned nationally when he passed away. So, what helped him reach this this level that very few uh, in Canada tend to get to? You know, it's a good question. I, I think ultimately the work. Um, there is something about his songs and his lyrics that really speaks to people that 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 gets to their core there was you could say well some of the work is some sort of quasi prophetic songs like the future or democracy from his 1993 album but but i think ultimately it's not about leonard cohen the prophet of 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 the age it's more about getting to the heart of the matter in terms of human relationships um, whether they're positive or negative He's somehow able in his lyrics and his music, and they go together so well, to capture um, what people actually experience in life in a way that very few other artists do. I mean, you know, uh, as you say, 
What other what other artist can you name that has a nine story mural painted on a building <laughs> anywhere in the world? Absolutely, uh, it's it, it's it's pretty extraordinary. Um, his his early fame was in Europe, um, and his later fame um, in North America and in Canada. I mean, in Canada, he always had a certain following because he was Canadian. But his but his his status in the United States was really not there for the longest time. Um, also, I think because, you know, when he began those last five years of touring in 2008, uh, he, was, he was an old man. It was something of a comeback, you know. He hadn't toured since 1993. And, and so there was a kind of farewell quality to it, you know, a kind of celebration of uh, the entire oeuvre, the, the, the career, as it were. Uh, and that, that farewell tour lasted the better part of five years. Uh, you mentioned at the start of the book that you you did 500 interviews. Were you shocked by the response uh, to people for the book and the number of stories that all of these people could tell about such a figure? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was and I wasn't. I mean, I had sense that there were there were stories to be had, and of course, every every interview led to one or two more. You know, oh, you should talk to so and so. You know, he or she has a story, um, and and so. So to some extent, I wasn't shocked. But on the other hand, um, you know, there, there are still people that I haven't interviewed and, and would like to interview or would have liked to have interviewed who, who want to preserve their Leonard Cohen stories in, in the private archive of their memory. Um, <laughs> I like that. They don't want, they don't want to share them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I understand that, though I regret it, because I think, in a sense, history is the loser there, because, you know, my... <laughs> My argument to such people is that, you know, we know very little about William Shakespeare because nobody bothered to write down, you know, to interview his friends and his his his, his girlfriends and his ex-wives and and you know we have about twelve facts about Shakespeare that we can certify, you know, as as gospel. Mm -hmm. um, but in the in the modern age, you know, Leonard Cohen is not Shakespeare, but he's going to last a long time, and people are going to want to know about his life, and we have this opportunity. I had this opportunity, I thought, to try to record some of that stuff and to connect the life uh, in a better way, perhaps, uh, to, to the actual work. And, um, and so, so I began and, and, and I was gratified. A lot of people said no, but more people said yes. <laughs> uh, do you have any favorite story uh, from the early years of Cohen? Oh, oh, so, so many, really. Uh, geez, pick a favorite story. Let's come back to that question if we sure. can. Uh, um, I'll, I'll ponder it as we're talking. No worries. Uh, you kind of touched on it. Um, I remember hearing a, a study that said in a few generations, the Beatles songs will be kind of like nursery rhymes. They'll be so well known. Uh, looking a few generations down the line, do you see people seeing Cohen more as like Canada's poet versus a singer songwriter? No, I see him more as the singer songwriter. I think the, you know, poetry is is still there. There, there are, there's still disciples of poetry, and it's still very popular in in a in a more limited way. But in terms of a mass audience, in terms of future recognition, I think it's going to be the singer songwriters who who will last. Uh, they are the better ones. Are in fact poets. The lyrics are poetry. Uh, I would put Leonard's lyrics up there as as poetry, along with. Dylan's and some of Paul Simon's and some of Joni Mitchell's and, and, and half a dozen other uh, 
great artists. Um, um, no, no, that I think is it will be the the substance of his reputation going forward. How did the early years of Cohen kind of form him into the figure that he would become in the in the middle years and then into his uh, into his old age? Well, you know, it's interesting because he begins as as uh, as an as an aspiring poet and a very talented one that was recognized early on by much older men and women as as being as being he was particularly gifted at a very young age. Somebody says in the book that had he continued on the poetic line, he would have been one of the great poets of the late 20th century without a doubt. Um, but he struggled financially and he didn't want to struggle financially. He, he you know, he tried, wrote three or four books of poetry. They sold well, they were well received by and large. And he tried novels. He wrote a very good novel, The Favorite Game in 1963. It was well received. Then he wrote a more experimental novel, um, Beautiful Losers in 1966, which was very controversial because it was, it, it was way ahead of its time in terms of terms of experimental prose, at least in, in Canada. And it sold reasonably well too, but he, he simply wasn't living, uh, he was living hand to mouth essentially, and he didn't, he didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other key factor is, is Bob Dylan. I, he hear, must have heard Bob Dylan 1963, 1964 at the latest. And he said, this guy is a poet, he can't sing, uh, you know, he's, he's, he may have some guitar chops that I don't have, but I can, I can improve on that score. Uh, but I can write like him um, in my own way. And, and there's no reason why I can't be a musical star, even though I'm, you know, 30 years old. And so I think Dylan, the, the arrival of Dylan on the scene and the acclaim and recognition uh, that was accorded to Dylan was a major factor in the decision by Leonard Cohen to shift from poet novelist to singer songwriter. And, um, and his friends, as you know, if you've had a chance to look at the book, his friend said, Leonard, you can't sing. You know, you can barely play the guitar. What, what are you thinking? And, and, uh, and, he's, and he, just, he, just, he just thought he could do it. And he did it, of course, obviously, uh, but it took, it took him a while. Is there kind of like you mentioned that he didn't tour from 1993 to 2008. Um, when you compare him to, say, somebody like uh, like Neil Young, uh, who is always at the forefront, we've always known about Neil Young. Is there kind of a mystique to to Leonard Cohen that really lends itself to kind of his story, his legend in a way? Well, I think there is. I mean, part of the mystique is the is the Casanova mystique, this guy who has this absolutely hypnotic ability to entrance and, and uh, romance women. Uh, part of it is the religious, uh, the cloak of spirituality that, that he wears so, so easily, you know, his, his immersion in not just the, the religious illusions that fill his lyrics and his poetry, both to Judaism and Christianity, um, but his, his immersion in, in Zen and, and in an early part of his career, even in, in Scientology, but more latterly in, in Zen Buddhism, in which he was very, very, to which he was very deeply committed. He, in part of the reason he doesn't tour after 1993 is that he spends the better part of five years um, becoming a monk uh, in the Rinzai-ji Zen Buddhism order uh, on Mount Baldy in, in California. And, and uh, he's busy writing new material, both poetry and song, but he's, he's not really touring. He's 
he's a, he embarks on a very spiritual exercise. And in fact, at the end of his four or five years at Mount Baldy, he then goes to India and begins to study with a with a Zen with a, uh, a Hindu guru um, who he has a lot of time for. He initially goes to India in about early 1999, planning to spend a few weeks and ends up spending four months and then goes back three or four times over the next few years. Like he was, he was a serious seeker. And so, you know, people relate to that. You know, they, they don't see him as a guy who was trying to trivialize um, human relationships or make a quick buck off of, of uh, an easy song lyric. He, he was a real craftsman. He was totally dedicated to his work. Um, and so those, those, those are some of the elements, I think, that make him so captivating. Uh, so apart from compiling 500 interviews, thousands of hours of tape, what was the biggest challenge in creating the book? Well, the transcription is, is not a lot of joy. Uh, <laughs> you, you have to, you know, think, think about the exercise. You know, you might, I, there are 500 plus interviews. Not all of them are in this first book. Some will be in, there's, there's two books to come. So some of them will be in those, but um, there's several hundred in this book. And, and, and so you have to listen to the tape, extract the best parts of it, then decide where in the book those parts should go because some people knew them for 30 years. And so they're going to, their voices are going to appear in many chapters. And then you have to try to link those extractions to other extractions that hopefully make some coherent sense to the reader. It's, it's, that is, the, that's the challenge. Uh, it's a lot of cutting and pasting. Um, uh, I, I sometimes think that if I ever do a, a book about myself, it'll be called cutting and pasting. Um, <laughs> but, but um, so that, that's, that's a challenge. And then of course, finding people, which is much easier today because of the internet, because somebody would say, well, you need to talk to Joe Smith. And, and there's a lot of Joe Smiths in the world. And which is the one that knew Leonard Cohen? Is he, is he still alive? Where is he? Will he talk to me? How can he be persuaded to talk to me? Um, all of those are challenges as well. Uh, let me come back to your earlier question because sure. I, 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 I think it's important to say that of the hundreds of voices that I've talked to, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly they, are, they only have positive things to say about Leonard Cohen. But there are, the, there are a few exceptions. And the story, a little short little anecdote I'll tell you is deals with one of those exceptions because it shows you that he, you know, he, he wasn't a perfect human being. There, there were flaws in the character and, and, and he didn't hit it off chemically with every person he encountered. So it's, it's, it's 1965 or 1966. Um, he's friendly with, a, with a, an aspiring filmmaker named Henry Zemmel who, who's also on a kind of spiritual path in his own way. And they're both into drugs in a heavy way, LSD at the time. And he's going to visit Henry and his, and his then wife, Carol Zemmel in Montreal. And Henry goes out perhaps to find some LSD, it's not clear, but he leaves Leonard alone with Carol. And Carol has huge respect for Leonard's work at that time, mostly poetry. Uh, but she's she's not so totally enamored of the man himself, of, of his personality. And she's left alone with Leonard for half an hour, and he can't talk to her. So he puts a 
a Mexican blanket over his head and sits on the floor for half an hour and won't say a word to Carol Zimmel. And she is deeply offended and deeply humiliated. You know, what's wrong with me that you can't even hold a, an ordinary conversation? And, and, and this, is, this, is, this is an outlier in, in the Leonard Cohen narrative because it happens so rarely. But, but it does show you that he, there were times when he just couldn't summon up the, what was for him a kind of reserve of, of grace and courtesy that he afforded almost everybody. Mm -hmm. um, uh, anyway, I, I, I kind of enjoy <laughs> that story just, be, just because it's such an, an anomaly. It's very unique too. It's a very good story. <laughs> um, so uh, obviously there's more books to come, but in this first book, kind of what is your, what's your goal? What do you want to get across to the reader? So I wanted to convey some of, you know, the, the journey, the arc of the journey from, from very talented young poet turned novelist into singer songwriter, just that historical arc. I wanted to try to some extent and it, it's not easy, but to some extent, create a portrait of the times, you know, the, the ferment of the 1960s, uh, where you had a woman's revolution, a sexual revolution, a drug revolution, a music revolution, and in Quebec, a, a political revolution. All of these are formative influences on, on Leonard Cohen. You, you couldn't escape them, and, and they're reflected in, in his poetry or in his music. And um, so I'm trying to capture some of that. Um, and then just to give you um, various aspects of the man, you know, I, I like to call it Leonard Kona's Rashomon, the, the Japanese film by Kurosawa, which is basically the same story told by, I don't know how many different points of view, four, I think, four different points of view. And here you're getting, you know, several, several, sometimes several hundred points of view of Leonard Cohen, not all of them in agreement. Well, in fact, that's the point of the exercise is to show you how complicated he was. Uh, this is probably a hard question to answer, but how would you, in like a, a few sentences, describe the impact Cohen had on Canada's art scene or even music scene? Oh, I think it's huge. And it goes beyond Canada, of course. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, Joni Mitchell credits him with encouraging her to write her own music originally. And initially she's, no, jo Judy Collins does, pardon me. Judy Collins credits uh, Cohen. Um, uh, all kinds of artists from Nick Cave to Bono to Janice Ian to um, uh, there's several that, that he, there were, there were a lot of, a lot of musicians, certainly after in the later in the eighties and nineties who, who saw his music as, as, as something that really spoke to them and, and, um, and influenced them. And um, so, uh, you know, I think, um, there's a, they, they see in him a guy who was dedicated to his craft, who, who wasn't content to, not that some of the lyrics that are knocked off in 10 minutes are bad, some of them are great, but, but Leonard would work in, at his lyrics for, for months and years in many cases. Famously, there's 80 verses of Hallelujah, you know, most of them on the cutting room floor, and, mm -hmm. and uh, If It Be Your Will is a song that took him years to write, and um, so... I think I think he garnered respect as as a, a genuine artist committed to his craft, um, and his influence extends well beyond Canada. It's 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 global. In fact, 
on Facebook, you may know this, but there are half a dozen Leonard Cohen fan sites on Facebook. They're all, there's some overlapping membership unquestionably, but, but each of them has several thousand members. And, and by and large, they're European members. Uh, they're, they're not North American. Um, he, he, he sort of became identified with the more traditional European or French chansonnier uh, tradition as, as, you know, a guy with, it wasn't the quality of his voice that mattered. It was the authenticity of his voice. Mm -hmm. And, and he, he had that, he had that and they recognized him. So I think his influence was huge. Um, so there's two volumes, volumes to come, uh, looking at the middle and then later life. When can we kind of expect those two to uh, come out? Well, you know, in a perfect world, which we don't live in, um, <laughs> in a perfect world, the, the next one should, should drop, as they say, in, in a year's time. And the following one a year after that. Uh, both of those are sort of at advanced stages of completion, but they're not there yet. And, and I'm hoping that some of the people who have been inclined to um, turn me down for interviews will read the first book and maybe change their mind. So I'll, I'll, I'll be able to have a few more voices of, of substance in the book as well. A bit more transcribing to do. <laughs> well, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> It goes, goes with the territory. Exactly. And then uh, my, my last question is, uh, where can people find the book? Uh, where can they get in contact with you if they have, want to talk to you or have questions or they want to go to a website or anything like that? Just uh, all, all those things. Yeah, well, so, so at fine bookstores almost everywhere, um, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indigo Chapters for Canadians. Uh, you can go there and, you know, in the current COVID world, uh, not a lot of people want to linger a long time in bookstores. So, so there's, there will be more, um, more electronic purchases and, or, or buying online and you can buy an ebook version of it if, if you wish and read it on your Kindle or your iPad or whatever. Um, what was the other part of the question? Um, where they can get in touch with you or, uh, like, oh, website, get in touch with like me. That. Yeah. Yeah, I think I actually, I don't know if it's live yet, but there is a, a there is going to be a michaelposner.com. And in the absence of that, you can find me on, on Facebook or LinkedIn. I think I'm there. I am there. And, and um, I'm happy to respond. Befriend me. I'll, I will befriend you back. And, uh, and if anybody has any good Leonard Cohen stories, I'm still in receiving mode. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my interview with Michael. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. Once again, you can support the podcast for $3 a month by going to Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. Just like all of these wonderful people have. Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so through Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. I'm on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And of course, you can find me on Instagram. 
Just search for Bairdo37. Thanks, and we'll talk to you again next time.